Pro, this is Payments Radio, the show for and about the payments industry, covering news, interviewing experts, and talking about all the ways the world pays. My name is Megan Johnson, your host of PPRO Payments Radio, and in today's episode, we will talk all things cross-border e-commerce with a lens on the U.S. Why are we talking about this now? Uh, Our listeners may be asking. Well, PPRO has recently come out with a report, which is all about how U.S. businesses can thrive in a fast-changing global market. It looks at markets around the world, local consumer behavior, and provides actionable tips for growing beyond borders. So why not bring in the experts to further discuss this topic? And at the heart of this podcast is a discussion around the increased growth in cross-border e-commerce and why understanding and accounting for LPMs, local payment methods, um, in a merchant strategy is absolutely critical. So I'd like to introduce my guests now. Um, First, we have Moyad Said Ali, Head of Marketplaces in Payfax, Jean Mies, GM of LATAM, and Therese Hudak, Head of of enterprise accounts. Um, Moyaji, Jean, and Therese, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great to have you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Pleasure to be here. Who wants to do the honors of um, kind of introducing this report that's going to be launched very shortly on on behalf of PPRO? Yeah, happy to do it. Uh, We we just actually launched a report. It's already available and out there. And um, we've sort of combined some really interesting stats uh, on cross-border business. Um, so it's really some interesting content for U.S. companies specifically to really learn about the opportunity that's out there for uh, cross-border e-commerce, giving some insight and data on um, what the opportunity really is out there today. Nice. And I mean, one of the, I had a look through the report and I mean, I think the first statistic that stuck out was that seven out of the top 10 global consumer brands are American. So, I mean, there's no doubt there's a huge demand globally for for U.S. goods. Um, Is it safe to say that kind of the e-commerce space, um, when we think about cross-border payments, was previously lagging um, behind, say, physical locations? Why why is there all of a sudden um, a demand? Teresa, I'll let you kick off the conversation. The demand sort of is always there, to your point, right, for U.S. goods. Um, There's always been an interest both from, you know, Asia and and Europeans to, to buy um, you know, American uh, products. I, I think it's sort of the, the companies are are maybe lagging behind because it's such a big market, right? So for the companies to really expand, you know, within their own and, and uh, uh, you know, it, it takes a while for them to reach that point where they're like, okay, I have, um, you know, gotten all I can out of this market and lift their eye to look at other markets uh, and versus, you know, European companies, they almost have to do that right away, right? Look cross border. And so therefore, you know, they get very comfortable in their own market, but then realizing, you know, this opportunity that exists outside of their own borders and starting to look at that. And it just takes a while, right? But once they do that, they can really find that there's a much larger opportunity out there than they really expected. Yeah, I think uh, also from a from a Latin America perspective, um, like Therese said, uh, U.S. American brands always had a 
strong appeal, strong marketing appeal uh, in this part of the world. Um, and of course, with more and more customers buying online, uh, U.S. brands and products have been have become more accessible. So it's easier to to really be able to buy those uh, those items and, and goods and services as well, right? And uh, I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, during this call. But but it's it's really an interesting uh, kind of movement. Yeah, I, I think from from uh, from a, I, I live in the UK. Uh, we're probably more used to kind of buying from US brands. Uh, there's, there tends to be a natural kind of progression with US brands coming over to the UK. Uh, and to some extent, you know, if I'm looking outside in terms of the market, um, I would love to get my hands on the latest clothing or tech that's coming out from the US that's not already available to me. So there is definitely a big appeal, even, you know, sitting here in a certainly a developed uh, market such as the UK. So, yeah. Okay, so we've we've set the scene. Um, I think you know, with such big brands in in the US and it being such a big market, it, it's made sense for them to look, um, you know, internally. I think us uh, living outside of the US, we of course like to buy US um, brands and, and goods and everything. And I think even yes, there's a lot of interesting kind of small brands coming out of like Etsy and um, Shopify and everything. Um, but I think when we kind of spoke, um, Jean, you had a really interesting kind of um, point and, and thought for one of the rationale for growth, um, specifically with what we're seeing in LATAM and some of the more kind of bigger tech companies. Do you want to talk us through what, what you're seeing from the LATAM perspective? Of course, yeah. Well, uh, first of all, I think that um, to, to set the stage, global e-commerce um, in, in general continues to grow uh, very, very strongly uh, globally, right? So um, if we look at some stats, um, global retail e-commerce uh, reached around $5 trillion in 2021 globally and is expected to, to grow 50% by 2025. So it's really a strong growth dynamic. Um, now, if you look at, at Latin America, um, which is one of the fastest growing regions in the world, uh, e-commerce is expected to, to reach a growth of up to 70% in certain markets, right? Um, and uh, like, I, like I flagged before, the growth is driven by uh, the fact that more and more people are buying online, more and more people have access to the internet, uh, have smartphones, you know, smartphone penetration has, has grown uh, exponentially in, in the region over the last years. Um, but growth, uh, e-commerce growth has, all, has also been boosted by the effects of, of the COVID-19 pandemic, right? That drove millions of new consumers to buy online. And that um, is interesting because it does not only mean that you will have um, you know, different types of consumers in terms of age brackets. So if you will, um, you know, older people uh, suddenly starting to buy online, but would also that you would start seeing um, different economic um, uh, um, layers, let's say, of the society uh, buying online. People who would not necessarily buy online would start buying online because they were pretty much forced to doing that, right? Um, at the same time, uh, what, what is interesting to observe is that if you look at, you know, the global powerhouses of e-commerce, companies like Amazon, but also Alibaba in, in China, um, you, you see that they are, 
being challenged more and more in their in their home markets, right? So domestic competition is growing stronger and stronger, and um, as a consequence, the growth rates of such companies is decreasing. So as an example, Amazon's domestic growth uh, was forty percent in twenty twenty one, while international sales grew at sixty uh, percent plus in the same period, right? And uh, therefore. For those type of companies, for the global e-commerce powerhouses, expanding internationally becomes a super important part of their strategy to continue growing, uh, you know, significantly and 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 sustainably over the next years, right? Um, and finally, if you look at not only the traditional e-commerce uh, but also the global cross-border e-commerce. There's also an expectation that the, the cross-border e-commerce will grow significantly, almost 20% by, by 2026, and will reach more than $2 trillion uh, in volume, right? Um, this growth in, in, in global uh, cross-border e-commerce, of course, you, you will typically see in retail, digital services, uh, and marketplaces. But now in the last few years, you've also seen uh, subscription-based models like uh, music and video streaming platforms, uh, you know, advancing into new ge geographies and 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 uh, tapping into the consumer bases uh, all over the world for very similar reasons as as I mentioned before with Amazon and Alibaba, right? They're being challenged. And they're looking for way to, ways to expand um, their customer base, and particularly in Latin America. Uh, you see that uh, companies like Netflix um, uh, and others, you know, streaming services, Spotify, uh, Latin America is among the fastest growing streaming markets for those companies, along with Asia. And, um, and this, again, has been fueled not only by behavioral changes, pandemic-related people, right, uh, consuming more online content because they're at home, but also uh, due to the, what I mentioned before, you know, a, digital adoption uh, in this region's really accelerating uh, over the last years. So it's an interesting trend. Yeah, no, no, it, it's, um, it's really interesting how the, the, the trends are, are going, right? And, and to, to jump in there a little bit and kind of like talk a little bit about how um, the really the consumer behaviors in various areas around the world uh um from buying online is is a bit different from region to region right and i think this is where we need to pay uh attention you know from from a u.s perspective and we're thinking from the the u.s companies uh trying to look outside of the borders as well uh, because it's so easy to to think about um you know creating a user interface you know for an american consumer and then also of course payment methods etc but when it when it when it comes to looking outside of the borders you have to look at not only what you think these these consumers you know behaviors are but where does this consumer behaviors come from like the socioeconomic aspect right like how how do these people, you know, like buy and how do they pay? And it's just so different. And we don't realize that sitting in the US a lot of the time, because in um in taking Latin as an example, like Sean was talking about, you know, consumers there, when they when have gone traditionally and still going to buy a pair of shoes in the store, they pay with installments, you know. And when I first heard that, like that floored me. I'd like you crazy like people are buying shoes 
and paying that off over, you know, 12 months or what have you. And it's the same in Japan, you know, like you go and pay in a convenience store via Konbini or Germans are, you know, um, prefer to pay with bank transfer. And so you need to think about why, why does that, why is that? That's because consumers have used this type of consumer behavior in brick and mortar. And now it's being spilled over to uh, e-commerce and, and that's how it works. But it's also interesting then, like Sean said, this whole like in uh, increase of using mobile and, and smartphone also. So a lot of um, uh, consumers are now buying on smartphones and we need to adapt to that, adapt the experience and adapt the payment methods. It's actually interesting because I talked to one of my clients yesterday and um, she was like, you know, we just had this marketing campaign and, you know, I saw zero conversion of this marketing campaign. I was floored. Like I didn't get why that was. And I think this marketing campaign was specifically in Latin America as well. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. What happened? Like, what did you find out? And she's like, well, you know, I realized after we pushed all this marketing, the consumers was driven to the mobile device. And so what we found out is like our mobile device is horrible. Like, and we only have credit cards and they couldn't put in the credit cards on this tiny little interface. And so we lost all of this, you know, uh, funding that we put into this marketing campaign. And so we need to go back and rethink this. So it's an interesting story to hear, right? Um, and, and of course, you know, so we need to think about also, and in some markets have been such ahead of the game with mobile payments, you know, think about the Nordics with Swiss and Sweden, Vips in Norway, and, and, you know, they have kind of implemented these, you know, payment methods and experiences that makes it so easy to convert um so yeah so it's interesting to hear those stories where the merchants are like discovering as they're going and losing money on marketing campaigns because they didn't think it through the whole flow there yeah uh, but yeah i can go on and on <laughs> <laughs> i i think that's super interesting and i mean i mean i think just that really drive drives home the point of why it's so important to understand you know where your spend is coming from and accounting for local payment methods and we'll get into that topic but i think also kind of thinking about the role the mobile device plays it's it's also okay it's yeah i want to buy you know something like quick or so renew a subscription on my mobile device but i think moyad you had an interesting story about um Chinese shoppers shopping at Italian luxury brands, Alipay, FaceTime. What what was that whole story all about? Yeah, I think I think this so this developed during the the, the pandemic. Um, it was almost like so that there's a huge influx of Chinese tourists that usually go into uh, Italy uh, for obvious reasons, uh, mainly to buy really expensive handbags. Um, so uh, when the pandemic hit, obviously that travel just stopped abruptly uh but th th these businesses um these high fashion brand businesses needed the needed to still kind of sell uh their goods and services to their loyal customers that they were that were coming over from from overseas and especially from china so what uh, ended up happening was that actually they they were uh facetiming their loyal customers um and kind of showcasing them the the new handbags that have just kind of arrived and, and basically 
selling them uh, uh, these really expensive handbags on on FaceTime, and and they were able to kind of be able to accept uh, a, you know a very relevant payment method in in China called Alipay, which I'm sure most people have heard of uh, via uh, a payment link. So you know you're on the FaceTime, you're buying, uh, you're going through the buying process, and then when you're happy with the products that you you you've chosen. The shopper literally just sends a payment link for you to kind of uh, make a payment using your local payment method, which was Alipay in this case. And I think we've already seen that transition uh, to um, you know platforms like TikTok uh, that are collaborating with like Shopify. So it's almost like social selling and commerce kind of almost coming together and utilizing these platforms and these very mobile uh, centric platforms to kind of. Uh, sell goods and services remotely. Um, so that's becoming it's it's very interesting to see that. That's for sure. So that, that, that's a crazy story. And I mean, I think as as I mentioned, and you know, these these stories are telling that you know it, it's really important to understand where the cross border payments are coming from and and what kind of you know what local payment methods have to be an option. Um, like how important is this? I mean, is kind of, um, you know, the story of the marketing campaign, like uh, a one-off or is it absolutely critical that merchants have this at the heart of their e-commerce strategy? Um, Moyad, what are your thoughts? Um, so it's definitely, I don't think it's a, it's a one-off. Uh, it's, it's a growth area. Um, and I think, I think we've talked about this as well already. Uh, I think what it's, it's probably fair to say that technology and the advancement of that connectivity is is kind of aiding that growth of e-commerce uh, for sure. And you know, uh, Jean mentioned some uh, really interesting stats uh, in terms of cross-border um, uh, payments growing by something like two trillion dollars um, by 2026. So these these are big opportunities for merchants. And and from a from a merchant's point of view. That's why you know opening uh, their 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 shop or platform to the world is almost vital to to continue that that growth, and and we know that you know shoppers, including myself, you know we're always looking for unique experiences, unique products that we want to buy, um, and and if if a, if a merchant can address that, then I think it's it's very logical. Uh, to assume that uh, opening up the world means that they're going to, you know, get access to more customers and obviously get access to bigger revenues as well. So if you if you think about it, if if I or anyone else, uh, you know, on this planet was going to buy from a merchant who's based outside of their home market or country, um, that 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 almost there's a tendency to kind of have uh, some reluctance during that purchasing uh, process. And I think that that reluctance kicks in because of loads of different things, things related to, you know, um, how long is this product going to take for me to get it, delivery time, delivery costs, um, is the good or product that I'm buying, is it really top quality? Is it like a cheap copy? You know, I don't know this sort of stuff. Um, or, you know, even with the returns process, um, what, what if I don't like the product? How can I return it? And I think fundamentally, all of it kind of is encapsulated around um, trust. You know, can I really trust uh, uh, a merchant that's on the other side of the world? Um, so I think that's it, it almost really brings it into perspective, certainly from a merchant point of view, 
if uh, if I have a shopper that's gone through this kind of process, and it's quite sometimes it's a painful process to think about all these things when you're buying from um, around the world. Um, I think it's if if a if a merchant, um, uh, yeah. So if if a merchant can can address some of these pains um, by localizing their their offering to those to those uh, shoppers, uh, it will definitely benefit for sure. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Muyat on this. I think that if again, if I take the the Latin America perspective here. Like in any other region, uh, uh, it is essentially important for merchants to, you know, not only understand the the requirements of of local consumers in Latin America, but also, of course, to react to those expectations uh, and desires that the consumers have, right? And that means, uh, you know, from our perspective as a payments company, it's all about it comes down to really offering, you know, the preferred payment methods. And the relevant payment methods across the region, right? Um, if we if we kind of think a little bit about that, so so what does that mean uh, for for merchants? You know, in this case, the U.S. merchants looking at Latin America. Um, Latin America is, is essentially a um, you know a cash based society overall, right? So if you look at it like a conglomerate of of different markets. Uh, uh, it's it's essentially cash based, but that applies mainly for you know day to day consumption. So buying stuff you know in the supermarket and so on. Once you look at uh, e commerce, the picture changes completely because online purchases across the region are typically made with uh, credit or debit cards, so electronic payment methods, right? So up to seventy percent of all online payments. In the region, some of the markets of the region are made with uh, with cards, right? And um, like Therese already mentioned before, there are very specific flavors to that, right? So, you know, Therese mentioned um, the fact that many times people choose to buy in installments here, even you know, uh, items that that don't have such a high ticket value. Right, so a pair of shoes or something like that, and this is extremely important because, as a matter of fact, people like to pay, uh, you know, for their purchases in in many times, in five, ten, twelve times if they can, and uh, and the markets, uh, the different markets here, they offer that uh, without interest today. So it's very convenient for people to spread out, you know, the the value of a purchase over several months uh, and uh, and to get the the product right away. So it's Maybe similar to what you see now coming up, buy now, pay later solutions, right? That address exactly this this issue from a consumer perspective. What what is interesting though is that there is also a lot of evolution happening in terms of payment preferences. So although you know debit and credit cards are still dominant in the region, uh, local payment methods that are not card based, they are gaining relevance and they're becoming more and more significant. I think that. One very good uh, example to highlight is um, PIX as a payment method in Brazil. It's an instant payment method that was launched in October 2020 and that had an impressive uplift um, in, in transactions since then. So in, in less than a year, the, you know, the payment methods attracted more than 100 million consumers. So now it's actually close to 120 million consumers using these payment methods. 
mainly for peer-to-peer transactions, but more and more also for, for consumer-to-business transactions. And um, uh, and this payment method um, is, well, first of all, very convenient uh, because you can you know, do all your payments via your smartphone um, in a very fast manner. So like I said, it, it's an instant payment method and it doesn't cost the consumer anything, right, to make a payment. Um, and this, and and in addition to that, um, this is a payment method that was launched by the Brazilian Central Bank that guarantees the interoperability of this payment method. So meaning that any bank that offers PIX will offer it in the same exact manner. The integration for merchants or payment providers is exactly the same. Um, so uh, the central bank really uh, created a standard for this uh, payment method that is very, very important, right? Um, and last but not least, the central bank in Brazil is also pushing for new functionalities. So as an example, uh, the possibility to uh, make PIX pay, payments in, in installments, which is not available right now, but it will be throughout uh, 2022, or to make um, automatic automatic payments or recurring payments via PIX, which means that you know this payment method that is already very relevant for consumers will start becoming uh, even more relevant for businesses, right? And will kind of help businesses to... Um, to lower transactional costs, to um, uh, to offer very convenient payment methods to to their consumer base, right? And um, just to finish this this off, um, you see uh, very similar uh, evolutions in other markets across the region as well. You look at uh, Mexico, you look at uh, Colombia. Colombia, I think, is a good example with a payment method called a PSE. That um, that is also a non-card um, digital, non-carded digital payment method that is uh, uh, growing quite significantly. So they have, you know, they have a share of twenty-five percent of the market, and they address pretty much the same um, uh, topics that that also PIX addresses and helps to solve. So uh, it's easy to use. It's um, it's accessible, um, and um, yeah, and, and and very very interesting from a consumer perspective. So, uh, and like I said at the very beginning, it's, it's extremely important that um, international merchants understand those specificities about the local markets, not only in Latin America, um, if they want to do business here. Definitely. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, we, we spoke previously on, on this podcast about all the innovative local payments coming out of LATAM, but I mean... I like to think a lot of the times some some other markets are ahead of of the U.S. I think specifically when we think about kind of broader fintech. Um, I mean, Therese, how how different are local payment methods in in the U.S. compared to what we're seeing in in other markets? It's always been uh, a little bit different depending on which markets we compare. I mean, here in the U.S., we love our credit cards we love our loyalty points and so that's kind of traditionally how we've been wanting to pay with and that's true for some other markets of course outside the us as well but then we have some other markets that have kind of really uh quite different approaches you know to how consumers want to pay but on the other hand here in in uh, the us of course we have paypal which (laughs) 
uh, is a huge force in itself and obviously like um, in many other countries as well. And they've sort of also solved for this of uh, consumers want to pay with credit cards and with a loyal point. It's, it's made it too easy to pay, right? You don't even have to put in anything else. Yeah. It will remember your um, you know, password and also even solve for the loyalty point issue because now you can also get the loyalty point with having the funding mechanism of having that credit card, right? But but also what we're seeing here in the US and outside of the US also is this buy now, pay later sort of, you know, trend. And it's not like it's a new trend, but it sort of seems like over the last year or two really have picked up steams, more companies are coming into the market. But and again, it's not new, right? Because PayPal bought um, Bill Me Later back in 2008, and that feels like a long time ago now. Yeah. And then they rebranded it to PayPal Credit back in 2014. But but there's so many more companies that are are also becoming more and more global, like after Pay Firm, etc. So yeah, buy now, pay later. You know, e-wallet, credit cards, sort of like makes up the U.S. and and so then, you know, traditionally you tend to. I uh, think that that's the same behavior outside of the U.S., but it's different in each market, right? So uh, even those trends are spilling into other markets, but still, you know, it's important for U.S. companies to look at each market that they want to kind of penetrate and go into, how the consumer behavior. But the, the base idea is just at least to understand what payment methods add those payment methods that make it super easy to pay with without the consumer dropping off because it's too complicated and not the payment methods that you want. Because I think back to Moya's stories, it's like if the consumer wants to buy something that they really want, they're going to find a way of doing it. But that's not all the cases. Most cases are just consumers browsing, finding something that looks interesting. But if they don't have the payment methods or if it's not easy enough, then they're going to drop off, right? So, yeah, to be able to capture that sale in last in the checkout, if you're going into uh, Sweden, think about mobile payment methods, or or you know, going into to Brazil today to John's point, like Pix is just like with this amazing growth and the ease of use. It's it's sort of you need to have that to really you know optimize that checkout and not lose conversion. I think there's there's so much I think to consider. I think you know it, it, from what we're hearing, it's every market is very different. Um, I think there's quite a lot of um, you know complexities, and I think you know it'd be good to understand like the PPRO perspective in terms of how to overcome maybe the technical capabilities, the more kind of strategic way to think about. Um, offering different LPMs. Um, Moyad, what, what's your perspective? Uh, so, yeah, so from a technology uh, stroke complexity point of view, uh, so I think when, whenever we talk about uh, growth in e-commerce, that almost goes in hand in hand with um, technology as well. So what, what that basically means in my kind of my kind of thought process is one, um, as a merchant, you need to ensure you are offering your services on the right platform and channels. Uh, that's I think that's a given. So as an example, um, and I, we talk about this in the report as well, is um, you know 57% of consumers in India, for example, complete their transaction on a mobile device. And then crucially, 
Um, so that's one element. And then the second element, and it's quite crucial, is that 96% of those uh, consumers actually run on uh, devices that are on Android, for example. So you almost need to cater for those customers specifically from a local perspective because that's their preference. And, and that's one element of technology that you need to take into consideration. And I think the second part as well is um, from a, <clears throat> again, preference point of view, uh in the sense of providing the right mix of payment methods at checkout um as obviously Therese touched on as well um this this basically touches what ppro does and this is why we exist um in in the market today so our purpose is first of all to promote uh financial inclusion to drive uh the economic growth and increase the payment industries like effectiveness and efficiency in in the industry um so what what we and essentially that kind of translates to what we actually do for some of these customers and what we do is um uh we uh, uh we we kind of unlock the complexities of that cross-border payment and we do that through being an infrastructure provider to the payments industry itself so that's one of our key customer markets uh, that we have or at least we we cater for and then as part of that we set the performance standard um, by partnering um, with these uh, payment companies and we actually uh, globalize um, their payments as well so these are big powerhouses and payment uh, companies, and we glo globalize that for them as well. So that 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 essentially makes it um, simple for their merchants to also glo globalize as well. So it's, we're 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 providing a layer to uh, the payment companies that we work with, um, and it makes it easier for their merchants to also go into any any part of the corner of the world that they want to. So for an example, uh, some of our customers have been able to make it as simple as being able to allow their merchants to flick a switch in their back office system um, to be able to accept payment methods for like shoppers in, you know, in Poland or in Brazil or, or in China. Nice. So it sounds like, yeah, I mean, I, I know that PPRO can easily alleviate some of these complexities. And I think, um, yeah, the last half hour we've talked about why it's absolutely critical for U.S. merchants to, you know, really start thinking about this, thinking about local payment methods, having a strategy, um, and yeah, really being able to kind of um, cater to the different ways that all the different uh, all the different payment methods, all the different ways that people pay, uh, all the different devices that people pay on, all the expectations around um, checkout and everything. So yeah, I think this has been a really enlightening, fantastic um, conversation. And it's not the last um, conversation on this point. Um, Therese, there's going to be an upcoming uh, webinar about this topic. Can you share a bit more details about the webinar? Yeah, so we are going to do a webinar on the US e-commerce report. Um, and uh, we're uh, taking that in the end of this month. So it's going to be available beginning of next month, beginning of April. Oh, fantastic. So we could get even 
deeper, further insights into the space. So um, yeah, looking forward to it. So yeah, Moya, John, and uh, Therese, thank you so much um, for sharing your insights, your anecdotes, your analysis, and I think definitely inspiring, um, you know, maybe not just US merchants, but all merchants um, to really think about their um, local payment method strategy and kind of the, the business value that they can unlock um, with a kind of solid cross-border uh, e-commerce strategy so thanks again everyone thank you thank you megan thank you so much to our listeners and stay tuned for our next episode of p pro payments radio